welcome to the Cloud Pod, where the forecast is always cloudy. We talk weekly about all things AWS, Google, and Azure. We are your hosts, Justin, Jonathan, and Peter. Episode 28, recorded on June 18th, 2019. The Cloud Pod Metal Edition. Hey guys, how's it going? It's great. Well, it's been a fantastic week so far. Going well. And we're a week out from Reinforce, so it's uh, definitely going to be a fun show tonight. We're going to do predictions, but uh, let's hit the news first out of the gate. Cloud Endure uh, migration is now available to you guys at no charge on AWS. If you guys remember, uh, Cloud Endure was a recent acquisition by AWS a few months back. It simplifies, expedites, and reduces the cost of cloud migration by offering a highly automated lift and shift solution. Uh, Apparently, you go to a website on the Amazon website, request the agent-based licenses, and you are free to use them for 90 days. And then if you did not complete your migration at that point, you have to go uh, redo that process, uh, which is a little weird. I don't know why you can't extend it beyond 90 days, but that's why it works today, and it's all free. So pretty nice. Cool. Yeah, I think uh, I think actually when they made the acquisition, that was one of my predictions, was that the price would quickly go to zero since these tools are super cool, but if they're too expensive, uh, they're slowing down the potential uh, acceleration of workload migrations. So buy the companies and give it away for free makes a ton of sense. Well, and they were available uh, through the partner network. If you had a partner like you guys at Foghorn, you know, you were able to access uh, these through the professional services organization. So there was some way to get it free before, but now it's available free for anybody, which is super nice. So of all the people migrating, how many do you think really have a hard time with just installing some software on a Windows image or on a Linux image? I mean, is, is moving the actual VM the hard part? It seems to me that this this is the easy. It's like the it's the easy first step to to show that your your app will run on a server in a cloud versus in the data center. But it doesn't solve the networking issues, and it doesn't solve um, you know the, the the differences in um, in the environment. You're kind of talking about you know a religious battle here that exists in the cloud space. So do you do you transform and make your apps cloud native and potentially take a lot longer to get to the cloud and take that hit politically in your organization? Or do you lift and shift, get the migration done as fast as possible, and then innovate and become cloud native on the cloud? And so this is a, a big debate that you know many partners and companies will talk about. And you know some of them have been successful doing lift and shift. Some of them have been successful doing migration first. Um, but a lot of times, teams get kind of distracted by the easy stuff or the fun stuff and they don't get to the real workload moving. And so it's, it's important to balance the two of them and kind of come up with the right strategy. Uh, I know that's something we're doing our current gig. Uh, you know, we do both, but uh, not every company does it that way. Yeah, I mean, I can, I can see if you wanted to move a machine from Azure to AWS now, we can run this agent on the, on the VM over there and move the whole thing over and it's done in, you know, a couple of hours or something. That That's appealing to me. Um, but I'm, I don't know. I'd be curious to hear from people who who use this as a, a like a foot in the door for migration to see if it really is the enabler that Amazon obviously think it is. They they paid a lot of money for it. Yeah, I think one of the the real benefits are people who have uh, low volume of workloads. Uh, they don't have the skill set to really get in and and transform first, and they don't even know what's running on their existing boxes. So they couldn't. They might not be able to build from scratch if they wanted to. And I think the, one of the challenges, too, is, you know, you and I, Jonathan, come from a very SaaS background where we're dealing with apps that we own, we run, we build, we manage them, um, or we don't necessarily have ourselves, but the company does that we work for. Uh, a lot of companies are dealing with IT shops that have, you know, legacy applications, legacy software that they, you know, paid maybe lots of money to a company to come and install. It works for them. That company went out of business is now stuck. Um, and so if you are in the more uh, dynamic environment that has a lot more different products and applications and services, the migration to AWS where you're doing transformation um, becomes much more complicated very quickly. It kind of scares me a little bit that people would then, I'm not going to say haphazardly in, in a bad way, but just to give it to make it so easy for people to move their, their workloads to the cloud without even thinking about the data they have or the regulations that may be governing the, the data on the boxes or the users of the boxes. It's... I don't know. I, I'm, I'm going to see how this works out, but I, I can see how, like you said, you know, the IT consultancies who go and you know they have a 20-hour bucket a month to go and help some company out. Um, they set something up and then then disappear. I, I I can see that that would be a uh, th- those are the customers that this probably targets versus the enterprise. Yeah, it's possible. 
Azure has a new shared image gallery. Uh, they announced at Microsoft Build and now is G8. Uh, this allows you to make it easier to manage, share, and globally distribute custom virtual machine images in Azure. Uh, it provides an easy way to share your applications with others in your organization, uh, either through the organization level or through the Azure AD tenant and regions. Uh, it enables rapid regional expansion and DevOps processes to simplify your cross-region HR and DR. And uh, one of their customers had a nice quote in the article. Shared Image Gallery enables us to build all our VM images from a single Azure DevOps pipeline and to deploy infrastructure as a service VMs from these images in any subscription in any tenant in any region. Without the added complexity of managing and distributing copies of managed images or virtual hard drives across multiple subscriptions or regions. And that was said by Stanley Merckx from Vivat, a Netherlands-based insurance company. So overall, pretty nice uh, solution. And I wish <laughs> Amazon would have something very similar to this. Yeah, definitely. Listen up. Amazon, we, we all know that AMIs are regional resources, but we don't want them to have unique IDs in every region. We want to build an artifact and then be able to reference the same artifact to wherever we are. We don't want to have to copy it and break some kind of chain of custody or anything. This this is this is perfect. I hope um, it's, I'm so happy to see Azure like going ahead and deploying new features like this. Yeah, it's kind of the uh, it's another one of these services that is much more convenient to use if it is a global service. Um, but puts all of your regions at risk if it's down, uh, unless they're engineering it uh, intelligently so that it effectively fails open. So, you know, if the service is down, all the images are available in all the regions, but maybe you can't push updates. Um, but all these global services, I, I, I love them. They're super convenient until they're down, and then your DR strategy isn't working too well. Yeah, it's interesting in the pricing strategy for this, you know, you don't pay for the service, but you do pay for the storage uh, for the image versions and replicas in each region, uh, source and target uh, for them, as well as the network egress traffic. So I, it sounds to me that these are localized copies in every region. Um, and so if the service is down, you can't do an update, but it is available to you in case of DR. So I think they've covered that use case, but definitely something to be concerned about. Yeah, and, and I hope they, they extend this to not just VM images, but um, Docker images too. Yeah, for sure. I mean, with Docker images, you already have Azure Image Store for containers, and I think it was replicated to multiple regions, if I recall correctly. But you know, other services like Artifactory and those, they they all have that capability to replicate uh, Docker images between places. The Microsoft Fur server uh, for Azure has extended to a SQL Server. So last year, of course, they announced the uh, open source Fur server. Uh, and now they're pleased to announce the open source Fur server has added support for both Azure SQL and SQL-backed persistence providers uh, in the cloud and on-premises. Fur services relies on data persistence provider for storing and searching Fur resources. The initial release of the Fur service includes a data persistence provider based on Cosmos DB and now has been extended to support SQL Server based on the natural progression they've seen from their customers and their use cases that emerged. Okay. <laughs> I have not had any use cases yet. I can't wait to get one. Yeah, healthcare uh, is a big deal, and these first services for healthcare data transfer is a big deal. So it's, it's definitely impressive. Uh, I'm not using it either, but uh, I know someone. Maybe we should invite uh, him to come on the show. He, uh, he uses uh, some of these technologies for their service uh, based on the healthcare they're doing. It's definitely fun to see Microsoft continue to contribute open source technology and deliver it via GitHub, which it now owns. Indeed. Uh, well, last week was the uh, Amazon Public Sector Summit, and they released a nice blog post that kind of highlights uh, 15 uh, things that they announced or talked about that they thought were interesting. Some of them uh, were a little less interesting for the podcast, just uh, you know things like you know certain customers using the platform. But I did uh, summarize a few of them for you guys. They highlighted several ways the intelligence community, including the DoD, are solving complex problems with the cloud. Uh, they have a new uh, ATO program around authority to operate. So this is for FedRAMP. Um, you know, migration acceleration program, which is the MAP program from Amazon, is now available for public sector customers. So this is uh, yeah. credits uh, based on commitments you make to the Amazon to help you move your services to GovCloud or to Amazon uh, FedRAMP. Is that available for $10 billion contracts? Uh, you know, I would imagine <laughs> it might be. <laughs> That's convenient. This sounds a bit like uh, Microsoft though with these all these financial incentives. And then they, uh, they also said they announced uh, 220 new services in the GovCloud over the la of last year, which is a uh, seems like a really big number when you realize that most of it's just enabling services they already had for GovCloud, uh, yeah. which we've talked about many times. And then uh, in the non-profit space, uh, they announced a new Amazon uh, Web Services image grant, uh, which you can now apply for and be able to receive up to $100,000 towards funding your uh, nonprofit, plus $100,000 in Amazon promotional credits. So that's pretty nice. Wow. 
And then uh, George Mason University and Northern Virginia Community Colleges uh, both announced bachelor's degree programs for cloud computing. So uh, kind of interesting. But overall, uh, I was a little bit surprised that they didn't announce a Jedi contract. I thought maybe that would be the <laughs> the, uh, the announcements uh, that happened last week. One of the articles I saw in Silicon Angle was actually talking about the fact that the number of clients going to public sector on Amazon is increasing dramatically based on just the Jedi contract even potentially being won by them. Oh, wow. So overall, it's a, it's a really good day, day for them in the public sector space. <laughs> it's like a giant trust thing, isn't it? Like once once one reputable organization moves and, and they're successful, everyone else thinks that they can do it and they can be successful too. So the faster they can get big uh, big organizations in into GovCloud, the, the faster it's going to grow. Yeah, definitely. I'm still hoping to see what happens with Jedi soon. It's almost end of June, right? <laughs> yeah. So any day, any day. That's what I keep saying. All right. Uh, talking about uh, Amazon services being deprecated, they have an update to the Sig V2 deprecation uh, that they announced last year. So originally, uh, it was going to be turned off here in a few days on June 24th. Uh, and now, based on the new plan and feedback from customers, is now be June 24th, 2020. They will no longer support uh, Sig V2 sign requests uh, for new buckets. Although existing buckets will continue to be able to support Sig V2, uh, and they'll be working with you to help you move off of the older method for signing. Uh, they did also announce a couple of ways you can identify these SIGV2 use cases using CloudTrail data events or S3 server access logs. Uh, but, you know, overall, the big thing about this deprecation thing is this is the third or fourth walkback that they've done uh, in the last month or two. And I'm, I'm starting to really wonder what they're what they're doing over there in this deprecation thing. And is it kind of the little boys crying wolf that, hey, we're going to deprecate these things. And then all you do is push back really hard and they don't they don't actually do what they say they're going to do on this. This is a weird one, though, because they announced this a long time ago. They've given people plenty of notice. And, and Sig V4 has been around for, what, seven years now, six years now? Oh, it's, forever. It's, it's not like, I mean, every every SDK that's been distributed since then has supported Sig V4. So I, I, I'd love to know who are these people which are still using this ancient, you know, compiled code or something with, against these libraries which don't support Sig V4 anymore. Cause that is some ancient code. Yeah, I, it's probably go, it's probably government, isn't it? That's probably what it is. Well, it's like, hey, <laughs> yeah, I tell you what, it, tell you. <laughs> it's something in it's something in GovCloud. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you my uh, my theory, and that is that um, you know, with this new with the new uh, DevOps uh, ops automation movement, you've got a lot of people coming from the ops side of the house who never really internalize that every line of code you write, you then have to maintain. Like the software development guys, I'll get that. They're, they have that in their backlog and, and the ops guys, I think, aren't used to it. You know, what we're used to is sort of if something is end of life, then we'll just pay for a higher level of support fees until it's convenient <laughs> enough for us to get off of it. <laughs> and now yeah. it's like, nope, that doesn't work anymore. Now you got to get off. <laughs> I mean, even then, you got to go to some lengths to deliberately make it so that it's using such an old version. I mean, if it's a bash script or something, it's using CLI tools, update the CLI tools. You know, the, you know, the API hasn't changed. I don't know, it's it's, it's kind of weird, but I, I'm, I'm glad that they've um, sort of standardized the way they're going to do feature deprecations now, which is they'll, they'll let you continue to use it for with, with existing resources up until a certain point, which is which is good. Yeah. At the same time, I don't really care so much about this. I mean, it's, it's ancient. Everyone should have moved off this by now anyway. Well, not everyone is uh, on top of the API changes as you are, Jonathan. <laughs> well, but it's a security It's a security thing. I mean, if people have deprecated SSL2 and SSL3 and TLS 1.0, and we're all happy to adopt those changes in the name of security, but, but the change from SIG v2 to v4 was, I mean, it, it's primarily a security-related change, so I'm surprised it wasn't pushed through in the same way as the, the deprecation of those other things. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a little interesting, but I definitely expect to see them trying to change the way they do these deprecations because I think this has been somewhat embarrassing for them to have to announce something and then walk it back. And, and so I, I hope they're taking a harder look at how they're going to do these going forward. I don't know about you, but if I'm browsing the web and follow a link, if it doesn't load in a few seconds, I'll click away and go elsewhere. Performance of each site directly affects whether it gets my attention and more importantly, my business. Your business runs on applications, and whether it's signing up, searching, or selfies, it better work. A modern application today is built from multiple components or services, and each one of these services has a stack that will make or break the performance of your application. That's your customer's experience and their impression of you. So how do you manage it? You don't. You let software do it for you. 
Turbonomic automatically manages application resources for you. Their software identifies and executes the right resource decisions at the right time at every layer of the stack, ensuring your applications get the compute, storage and network they need when they need it. Turbonomic is trusted by more than 2,000 digitally transforming customers and runs over 100 of the Fortune 500's hybrid and multi-cloud environments, continuously assuring the performance of their complex and dynamic applications. Check out Turbonomic today at turbonomic.com slash cloudpod. Again, that is turbonomic.com slash cloudpod. Links in the show notes. Well, uh, GitHub uh, has acquired Pull Panda to power up collaboration for software teams. Now, I have a really strong uh, opinion that any software product named after a fuzzy creature can't be good. But apparently, <laughs> this one was pretty decent, or at least was enough that they felt it should be picked up. Uh, apparently, it was founded about 18 months ago and only has about one employee according to linkedin at least uh they had three products or popular tools really that were being used by development teams uh one called pull assigner which will evenly distribute pull requests uh, among members of a team uh pull reminders notification notification service uh, which notifies you via slack when they're invited to review code and then pull analytics to give team leaders insights into how fast reviews are completed for pull requests and to kind of give you a nice thing. Uh, as part of the GitHub acquisition, they have now made these all available to you as a single tool available through GitHub Marketplace. Uh, and over time, they'll be integrating it into the GitHub Core and the Azure DevOps product. Yeah, no. I hope they didn't pay much money for it. Oh, I, I don't think it was a big a big expense, but you know, it's interesting to still see uh, this acquisition, so, especially since it's a fuzzy creature, which I, I have strong opinions about. Can we just see the one employee on LinkedIn and then congratulate them? Abi Noda, <laughs> congratulations. <laughs> yes, indeed. I hope you, I hope you got uh, some vacation money. <laughs> There's uh, two new C5 instance types uh, and one new C5 metal server available to you. These new larger virtualized instance types are the new 12x large and the 24x large. And then the new bare metal is the c5.metal server. The new instances are using Intel second generation Xeon scalable processors, codenamed Cascade Cascade Lake, with all core turbo frequency of 3.6 gigahertz if you're using all the cores, and a single maximum core speed of 3.9 gigahertz. Uh, The processors also support the new Intel Deep Learning Boost uh, for making faster machine learning operations like convolution and automatically improving inference performance over a wide range of workloads. Uh, And these instances are pretty massive. The C5 uh, 12x large is 48 vCPUs with 96 gigs of memory, and the C5 uh, 24x large is 96 vCPUs and 192 gigs of memory. The C5 metal is exactly the same as the C5 24x large. It's 96 vCPUs and 192 gigs. That's beastly. It is a big box. Three grand a month. Yeah, you could almost run Oracle server on there. Yeah, so this is the the first time I've noticed the, and maybe this is the case of other nitro back systems, but the cost delta between the C5 metal and the C5 24x large is no delta. They're the same price, which is really interesting because, you know, in the past you had to pay for the hypervisor and some of the other software things, um, and so you'd always pay a little bit more for the the hypervisor-based solutions versus the bare metal. So that's uh, it's interesting and an advantage of going to a hyperscaler built into hardware on the nitro chips. Cool, yeah. Don't know that I'll be using any of these. They're they're pretty expensive. <laughs> uh, anywhere from fifteen hundred dollars a month for the twelve and uh, thirty thirty five for the twenty four and the metal. So yeah. big bucks. That's the kind of thing you That's want to spin up for an hour to do a to do a quick task and then give it away again. <laughs> well, and with those deep learning experiences, that might, that might be exactly what you do with SageMaker or something like that to get through your models faster. Yeah. Uh, and then move on. Or you can have an apartment in the city for the same price. Yeah. An apartment or a broom closet? <laughs> uh, three grand a month, you can get a decent apartment, actually. <laughs> Ooh, okay. <laughs> well, I know that's San Francisco prices, but yeah. El- yeah. elsewhere in the country, that three, $30,000, $35,000 would be a, a pretty nice mansion that you'd be paying for. Yeah. Now, if you're on a parking space, of course, that's an extra $12,000. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> most, people, most people can't relate to our, our housing problems in San Francisco. No. So, uh, Azure has announced a new Microsoft Azure Bastion service. Uh, this allows customers to access RDP and SSH sessions over SSL through their console. Uh, Azure Bastion service uh, provisions directly into your Azure virtual network, providing Bastion or Jump capabilities as a service. Uh, it can be executed within two clicks or through an API call. And during the preview period, which is open right now, you can only pay about half the price. Uh, so it costs you about $70 per month. 
but after the introductory period, it'll cost you $141 per month per Bastion host. That seems pretty pricey when you could pretty much just build one yourself in a small VM. Well, I don't really know how much of it's actually a Bastion either, because you access this through the console. Um, so it's very similar to what we're doing with like SSM. And so I'm not entirely sure if it's actually attaching a whole device or if it's attaching some type of shared service that's attaching through an ENI type connection. I'm not exactly sure there's a server behind it. <laughs> it's just a very expensive service uh, that you know you could do with an EC2 or virtual uh, Azure instance. It could sort of be the whole HA solution bundled together. Potentially kind of like um, SFTP for AWS where you know I was like, oh my God, it's so expensive. And it's like, oh yeah, but it's multi-region, multi-availability zone capable <laughs> as much of things that you your single SFTP server on a T2 micro can't do. Yeah, I mean, I guess the, the, the closer parallel would be the AWS client VPN that they rolled out last year sometime. And that's significantly less expensive. I mean, 10 clients for an hour, I think the charge was like 50 cents or something. And 50 cents is um, way cheaper than $160. I mean, yeah. Well, and I, I was surprised that this, you know, considering that Google has a lot of really dynamic, interesting uh, VPN capabilities where they're basically provisioning uh, routes on demand as you connect to their console to be able to connect to a server. Um, it's all temporary and ephemeral. Uh, and, you know, and then you look at what Amazon's doing around some of their stuff with SSM, which doesn't require any anything other than the agent. Um, this is an interesting implementation choice. Um, I'm not sure why they didn't do more security in it. Like they didn't mention anything about like session recording, which you get with SSM. They didn't mention anything about um, parameter store access or anything like that, that you know would make this a little bit more impressive from a value perspective. But maybe those are coming and that'll make it better. Did they mention how they're doing authentication? Is it just integrated with AD? Uh, it is integrated into the Azure AD service. Cool. An initial price of $70. I was kind of like, oh, that's not too bad. Uh, but then that, yeah, that <laughs> it's going to double in price when it goes into production. MongoDB Atlas has uh, now come to Google Cloud. So this is an uh, increase in the partnership between Google and MongoDB. Uh, for those of you who don't know, MongoDB Atlas is their fully managed cloud version of their popular NoSQL database. Uh, you can deploy Mongo with one-click uh, provisioning and have it deployed into any cloud, but this is a native integration with Google. And so you get the benefits of that, including unified billing and integration into Google's key management service, uh, which is pretty nice. Uh, Atlas is available to you now across 20 cloud regions, resulting in lower latency for both databases, reads, and writes. Yeah, who didn't see this one coming? <laughs> yeah, I mean, basically announced we're going to partner more with uh, open source vendors, so makes perfect sense. Yeah. So, I mean, as a customer, you could just go directly to MongoDB and use Atlas and not have to pay the Google commission on this. So is, it, is the pricing the same if you get it through the Google Marketplace? Uh, I did not look that far, Jonathan, so I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> it's, kind of, it's kind of like there's, there's two ways to buy this. There's the expensive way or there's the cheap way, and you get exactly the same product with the same performance either way. But I guess if, if you really want the integration and the centralized billing, then, then that's great for you. Yeah, I mean, I think it's also those other benefits, too. Like, I can integrate into my unified billing system, integrate it into Google's identity service and the key management, and have that all centralized and available to other services that access Mongo. That might be valuable. So I, there might be things that make that extra price worthwhile. I just don't know. I think the whole concept of um, Atlas was has been great for years, though. I mean, there aren't very many people who will, will take, take a, a role they can assume or take some access keys and then directly deploy some infrastructure in your own account. I mean, they've, they've been doing this for what, like four or five years, I think now. So definitely pioneered the whole concept of, um, of sort of providing managed infrastructure, but that runs in your own account. Yep. Yeah. All right, let's move on to our last story. Azure launched their first Middle East region. Uh, this new region is available in from the United Arab Emirates or the UAE. Uh, the Cloud Center uh, there handles both Azure, Office 365, and Dynamics 365 products. Uh, it has achieved the Dubai Electronic Security Center certification for its cloud services, in addition to all of the other um, Azure services they have for most of their global data centers across the world. So uh, first Middle East data center for Azure. Congrats. There cool. you go. Getting around the world. Yeah, they definitely uh, have quite a few interesting uh, things we're doing over the Middle East. And it, also Africa, too. They're building out data centers there. So if you're trying to do business uh, in those regions, it's nice to have. Yeah, that's always uh, one of the first reasons we hear companies who, even when they have a big investment in data centers and they really aren't interested in moving to the cloud, um, expanding 
in other countries where they don't even want to think about opening a data center. It's just a no-brainer to spend the time and effort to get your stuff running on the cloud. All right, well, let's move on to the Reinforce prediction. So as you guys all know, Reinforce is next week in lovely Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, and as we did for the uh, Google Next conference, we are doing a predictions. Uh, this is shamelessly stolen from the other podcast, Upgrade FM. Uh, and they basically do this for things like WWDC and others. So if you follow their rules, uh, you sort of know how this works. But for those who don't know, uh, basically, we'll both each of us will pick three items that we hope or dream of being released at Reinforce. Uh, if we know about it from rumor or from private information that we only have because of Amazon telling us in advance through our other relationships with Amazon, we cannot talk about it here. Uh, and so that is off the table for your selections. So uh, and that keeps us away from being in trouble with Amazon Web Services. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, prior to the show, uh, we rolled dice. I won, as usual. Uh, Jonathan got <laughs> second in the draft, and Peter got third in the draft. So I will pick off the show with a uh, very simple solution that I would like to see, that I would love. Uh, I would love to see a true DLP solution uh, from Amazon Web Services, similar to what Google is providing. Uh, and, and Azure. And so that is my first prediction for the draft. Awesome. Ooh, that's not what I thought you were going to lead with. Interesting. Interesting choices. <laughs> yeah. I, do you think that's, uh, do you want to go into some details on that? You think it's going to be any egress? Is it like uh, egress from S3 buckets even where you, you don't have an opportunity to kind of put something in the way there? Or? So I, w I will now limit myself because I'm going to say that I, I d would not count a major upgrade to Macy. Um, in as solving unless unless that is beyond S3. So if Macy if they release a new version of Macy that now covers EBS volumes and RDS databases and Dynamo and all those kinds of things, I would count that. But if they're just releasing a new version of Macy, that doesn't count in my mind. Like everyone's kind of known that <laughs> Macy's been a garbage fire and needs to be replaced. I I really want to see analytic solutions from machine learning or AI that can look at my data set uh, either in RDS or in an S3 bucket and tell me the risk there uh, and make that available to me as a score or even tokenization type capabilities to uh, dynamically use it to identify uh, P DLP data or sensitive data that I want to encrypt or tokenize and be able to provide that to me as a service. Because that's what really Google had to offer to us. And I think that's a really compelling story. And I would love to see that on AWS. All right, Jonathan, you're on the board. I, it's like playing a, like Clue or something. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I like to pick Mr. Mustard in the study with the with the rope. The lead pipe. It's got to be the lead pipe. Yes, indeed. I mean, I think that the the audience at Reinforce can care about two things, and one is control, and the second is visibility, and and everything will be focused in one or other of those areas. I believe we're going to get some better visibility into our compliance posture whether it's CIS or HIPAA or anything else, I think we're going to have some tooling around looking at an environment, looking at a deployment you've done, an account or a VPC, and telling you based on um, some rules whether or not they believe you're compliant with these particular sets of regulations. I mean, to clarify this a little bit, are you talking about like a tool similar to Evident IO or Redlock that has a set of standards that will scan and kind of grade your environment or I, yes yes i think so yeah a tool a tool which will which will look at your environment and give you a, a score or at least pointers kind of like trusted advisor for security all right so i think mine is unique from yours justin but you could tell me because i was uh really looking at a vpc gateway type um uh offering that did layer seven egress control. So domain-based whitelisting. Ooh. Um, Ooh. I, I would not think that's the same as what I asked for. Okay. I mean, it, potentially TLS decryption and inspection for DLP could be in a gateway, but I, yeah. if you nail Usually this they one, integrate. Usually they're, they go they're together. Typically but. integrated, but if, if you nail a layer seven outbound egress firewall, that's, that's a fantastic hit. So okay. I, I would give that to you. But okay, that's mine. Fantastic. That's a good one. That was a really great one. Just because yeah. I have to build them all the time out of freaking open source <laughs> <laughs> proxy servers. Nice. Uh, so I am going to go with what probably Jonathan thought I was going to go with first. Uh, for my second pick, I'm going to go with a true SIM solution built on AWS 
that will take my CloudWatch logs, my guard duty, and actually make them into a true full end-to-end -end SOC solution for SIM that I can send everything to. That is my second prediction. Awesome. That was in the running for me, but I wasn't sure if the existing implementation of guard duty would be difficult to grade. But I mean, we will if, if they come out with a bunch of guard duty enhancements uh, that make it more like a sim, I don't think I would take a point for that. I, I want them to call it out as this is our sim solution for cloud. Awesome. Uh, and so I will be very specific about it. Since I was critiqued for my six enterprises at Google. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's awesome. I, 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 that was one of the ones I was looking at just because the easy way to do this is to look at the marketplace and look at all of the items in there. And usually one of those is going to end up free. <laughs> so do you think they'll provide uh, like agents to run on VMs or like, I mean, the, the SIM is just a gathering of, of event information, but what's providing that information? Well, I, that's why I think they already have the they already have the primitives for this, right? They already have CloudWatch that can collect logs on a system. They already have uh, threat detection with guard duty. So I, I'm really looking for how do they pull that all together into you know a view that a SOC engineer can use and see their risk. It might be sort of tied into some of the Redlock uh, trusted advisor idea you have too, but I really want that that kind of I want to investigate a security incident at a very hardcore level. I want to be able to auto-detect things with my SIM rules, and I want that to be available through subscription or through some other thing else there. So that's that's where I feel. Okay. Yeah. All right, Jonathan, you're on the board. I want improvements to VPC security groups, whether it's – and I'm going to list a few possible options. Ooh. Whether it's uh, lists of source IPs or whether it's um, kind of going down the Azure path of being able to name a service in a security group so you can say, you know, these instances can talk to the DynamoDB API, but, but Ooh, yeah, else, that kind of thing. That on, need, on, that has been missing forever. Um, yeah, one or, one or other of those two, but there needs to be some improvements around security groups because I feel like it's been a bit of stagnation there. Beside adding new things like transit gateway, um, things like that in as, as as targets in groups, there really hasn't been much change. And I know people have been asking for lists of IPs for the longest time. So yeah, that's my number two. Fantastic. That's a great. That's a great pick too. Uh, Peter, you're on the board. All right. I am going to go with a feature that I wish they didn't have to release. And I hope the regulations change instead of this feature being needed. But um, one of the high trust uh, items uh, that is, uh, I mean, I guess it's not a must have because people are high trust certified on AWS. But if you read in detail, you're supposed to be able to log network traffic, including payload data. And flow logs does not include payload data at this point. So I'm going to say flow logs, payload data. So packet capture, basically. Yep. Okay. All right. That's not bad. Um, yep. So I, I'm struggling with my number three, because I'm deciding if I want to go for points or I want to go for dreams. <laughs> <laughs> go for dreams. Come on, follow your And so, dream. like, I, like I, I'm going to say this, and I and I don't think they're going to actually do it. And I have a lot of reasons why I don't think they're going to do it. But I really want them to do this. Um, or I have another choice on my list, which is, uh, you know, I think a slam dunk would be definitely a point. But I, I think I'm going to go for my dream. And I'll if no one else mentions my my slam dunk, uh, I'll mention it as honorable mention here in a little bit. But uh, I'm going to go for I want them to come out with a endpoint security solution that includes antivirus and IDS IPS type capabilities uh, on the host because I'm tired of running 100 security tools. That was my number three, so I don't think that's a bad one. Good job. So an, uh, an, an agent-based security? Yes, an agent-based security solution for the host. Okay. I literally wrote integrated endpoint protection into Amazon Linux. You named it better, but I called it first. <laughs> you got it. Next, next time, yours. roll your dice better. Hey, I've got a, I've got number four. That's okay. I actually picked five. five oh, I have, I have like six just in case. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Jonathan, what's your number three? Well, going back to my control and visibility thing, I think as far as visibility goes, you need a place to put all this data. And if they're not going to deploy a SIM, um, but they are going to have add some of these extra features like the trusted advisor type thing or the packet capture or extending flow logs, whatever they're going to do it. I think we need a place to gather all the data and do analysis on it. And machine learning and AI is the, uh, 
topic of the day. So I'm I'm going to go with there will be a a uh, machine learning based tool which will analyze your flow logs or what other kind of what other data is generated by network traffic in the VPC and will do threat modeling for you. So are you falling into sim territory with that or are you falling into this is an add-on to potentially Peter's number to pick? I think it's a it's not could it be a sim? I guess it's mm, Yeah, sim yeah. sim has some of that capability in it, so that's that's a little bit of a gray area. That's why I asked you to clarify it cuz if you if you're thinking more about, you know, creating threat intel and stuff based on logging and data, that I think is a sim call, but if you're talking about I want to have automation and machine learning around flow logs and potentially this packet capture thing, I think right. that would be a separate pick. Yeah, specifically, specifically the, the machine learning and all the you know the, the adaptive learning type stuff, which Azure is already deployed, as we know. So yeah. All right, Peter, your number three. All right, I am hoping to see uh, security scanning of containers integrated into ECR. Ooh, that would be fantastic. Uh, yeah, I'm good at this game. I'd uh, I'd also Not like good to at winning, see... just good at thinking of cool stuff. <laughs> I'd also like to see them come up with um, some security tooling on hosts that could replace things like Aqua or Twistlock that they natively plug into um, Fargate. If they did that, I'd be super happy about that too. Yeah, sort of related to yours, but I, yeah. All right, well that's that's a fantastic set of three picks. I think uh, these are all good. Uh, all. Highly likely or unlikely as they are, because we're not good at crystal balls. <laughs> uh, but I do, I do have a couple that I didn't mention uh, that I can mention as honorable mentions. That again, these are not scored. So if I if I nailed these, um, it's unfortunate for me because I don't get scores. <laughs> um, so the first one I had was uh, enhanced WAF rules and tied into organizations in a bigger way. Um, and so or WAF rules, sorry, excuse my my slip. Uh, but I, you know the what they have right now is kind of very primitive, very like, oh, WASPUP 10 or, you know, known bad IP sources, but I I want much more dynamic rule capabilities into the WAF. I want much more competitive to something like uh, Akamikona. I'd love to see that potentially as a big enhancement to their WAF capabilities. I feel like they really haven't announced anything major for WAF in the last two years. So I'd love to see something around WAF. Um, and then my other one was I want to see their answer to basically the Google Zero Trust uh, Bastion host cap connectivity capability. Yeah. Um, I'd love to see their answer to that problem. Um, as I don't think they really... Because one of the areas that's weird about Amazon, just to be perfectly frank and thinking about these security things, is of all of the partners that Amazon's kind of built out over the years, the security partners have been their strongest. And so I think they've had some reluctance to Sherlock them in a big way. And right. so this is, you know, it's a little weird to kind of like pick these out, but this is an area that there's really no good partner for it. And I, it can fit right into their SSM story. Uh, and I think it has some value as a dynamic kind of security, dynamic security group based on the client VPN they release. I think that'd be kind of interesting. And so I, I kind of almost picked that one out, but I, I don't know enough. So Do you think that would maybe just be um, a slight improvement to their um, ALB authentication? Potentially, I mean, it could be integrated in a bunch of different areas. It could be when you know, when I log into the new Amazon client VPN solution, I get a dynamic routing capability that you know plumbs me to certain servers that have a certain tag on them, for example. Or um, you know, there's there's a couple of different use cases I could think of how they might do that. Um, so that's that's definitely kind of out there in my mind. And then the third one um, is to solve Jonathan's big complaint about tagging as a security concept, uh, <laughs> is to create some type of namespacing and tagging. But I, I thought Jonathan was going to go for it, and uh, so I didn't mention it. <laughs> that is but, so great. We forgot that entirely. No, I don't think they're going to do it. That's why I didn't mention it. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm, I'm here for points. <laughs> so those uh, those are my honorable mentions. But uh, what, do you guys have any others uh, that you want to mention? Um, I, I think we should see some more... Um, improvement. Like you mentioned organizations really briefly, but I think better control across an across an organization for security teams. Well, they, so they have quite a bit of stuff in organizations, the SCP rules and stuff like that. I just don't think anybody knows how to use them, <laughs> and there's no good examples for how to use them. And they're kind of like they were announced uh, six to nine months ago, or maybe even at reInvent in November. And I, you know, I, I know they exist, and we talk about things all the time, like, well, I want to disable this globally. And, and like, you talk to Amazon about it, and they're like, oh, just use SCP rules. And we're like, oh, yeah, I forgot about those. So I don't know. Yeah, but there, I think they're, I think that's just the touching the surface of what organizations should be able to do to uh, 
um, it, to make it easy to manage a set of accounts. Yeah, I agree. There's probably, a, I mean, I should have thought more before this about that area because I bet there's a tons of things we could think up in 30 minutes. Uh, any other honorable mentions? I got no honorable mentions because my, uh, my backups were chosen by you guys. So it's good. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, good. Then uh, we will t- we'll, uh, talk after sure about what we, what we else know that we can't talk about. <laughs> <laughs> hey, everyone. Jonathan here. I just wanted to take a minute to thank the cloud consulting gurus at Foghorn for helping make the cloud pod possible. These folks truly get it. Cloud consulting experts since 2008, they are premier tier partners with AWS, Google Cloud Platform Silver, and Microsoft Azure partners. From multi-cloud to containers to moving full production workloads to the cloud under the tightest compliance, Foghorn's team of full-stack cloud engineers have been there, done that, gotten the t-shirt, and are ready to share their experience with you. If you're in the market for some talent to supplement your team, visit www.fogops.io slash thecloudpod www.fogops.io slash the cloud pod foghorn the promise of cloud delivered all right let's move on to the lightning round uh, peter oh and good luck to all of you guys on the draft uh, if we again if we have any challenges uh we will bring in our tiebreaker in chief uh, ryan lucas yes i well i would just like to say that based on these options that we picked if anybody gets a point we're all winners <laughs> oh I, I, yeah, all of these are amazing. Yeah. So I would be, I would be happy with any of these. <laughs> yep. So it's awesome. All right, on to the lightning round. Starting with Amazon Aurora with Postgres compatibility supports cluster cache management. Yeah, I mean, it seems pretty obvious that you should support cache management in a cluster, but you know, whatever. It wasn't supported before. I know it always catches me by surprise. Yeah. It should have been last week's announcement. It has not yet been supported. All right, Amazon QuickSight launches multi-sheet dashboards and new visual types and more. They could have bought Tableau. <laughs> That's all I'm going to keep saying about this. But no, no, we're going to keep trying to make QuickSight a thing. Let's just keep trying. There's always click. Yeah, there's always click. All right. Oh, we have nothing from Jonathan. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm lost now. <laughs> Sorry. I, I looked at the scores. I'm like, you didn't reset the scores to zero. And now I'm thinking, well, what's, what's the point? I uh, just can't go on. Well, I mean, you're only three points down. You could, know. You, could, you could come back in a big way. So wow. One Steph Curry 40-footer, and you're tied. <laughs> <laughs> New AWS Partner Program, authority to operate on AWS. All in the need for DoD 10 billion Jedi contract. I get those partners ready to go so they can get in there and get it implemented because Amazon does not have the professional services people to do it. It sounds like it should be some, some cheesy movie from the 80s like Police Academy or something or Authority to Operate. <laughs> it, is a, it is a weird... Uh, I mean, there's a lot of weird acronyms in government, but like, I mean, they have a... If you're doing FedRAMP, they have, a part of the FedRAMP process is a POAM, which is the Planned Operation Actions and Milestones Report. Uh, and it's basically like, these are all the things that we suck at that don't meet your requirements, but here's our plan to fix them. And as long as you continue to maintain that plan document, you're good to go. So. I mean, they're going to they're gonna give everybody like a, like metal badges to carry around and flash it, flash it their customers. Like, I have authority, like to, I have authority to operate here, sir. Yeah. Step aside. Right. Yeah. You're out of your jurisdiction, Sonny. I just, all I could imagine when I read that was a AWS logo shaped version of the old game operation. Ah, oh, up to date. Nice. AWS Chime is now HIPAA eligible. I mean, they're just really trying to find that customer who's going to use Chime, aren't they? Like, oh, you know, we haven't we haven't been successful in enterprise. You know who might use this though? Healthcare. <laughs> just maybe if it's the only one. If you feel like nobody's listening to you, press one. <laughs> New AWS ISV workload migration program. <laughs> What's ISV stand for? Independent software vendor. <laughs> it does. Uh, yeah, this is good. This is a good tool for, uh, you know, SaaS companies are unique in how they transition to the cloud. And so uh, to design their migration program more for that workload, I think is a good call because, you know, Amazon looks at them and they're like, well, you know, they've been they've been saying they've been migrating for eight months, but nothing's happening. The bill's not increasing. And then, you know, all of a sudden the next day, you know, the entire workloads are cut over in a big massive maintenance window. Yeah. <laughs> and now they're, now they're spending millions of dollars and caught Amazon by surprise. So uh, having some programs a little bit more focused on some of the ISVs or SaaS vendors uh, and how they do migrations, which is completely different than a traditional IT shop is a good move. I, I concur. Updated AWS Security Fundamentals Digital Security Course is now available. I should have killed that one. 
I mean, it's aptly timed a week before Reinforce, so well, well done on the timing. I, I was actually surprised. So normally when we, we, you know, we approach um, reInvent, you know, Amazon sort of starts looking at all the announcements they're going to make, and they start saying, no, no, it's not going to make it. It's not It's not good enough for the keynote. And so you have a bunch of stuff drop before the reInvent, and then you have a bunch of stuff that kind of drops during the event that's kind of on main stage, and you have a bunch of stuff the week after. And it's been actually really quiet on the security side for the most part. Yeah, but we are publishing a document like this, a fundamentals course on what services you have to offer people when you're about to shake it all up and change it, hopefully, a week later. Indeed. But those aren't the fundamental security services, Jonathan. Those are the new ones. And what about the non-digital security courses that Amazon offers? What what would those look like? You mean the the dead tree security courses? (laughs) Books. Books? How to pick a... (laughs) Yeah. Brought to you by audible.com. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Amazon Elasticash launches reader endpoint for Redis. Yay. I, so I didn't realize that when you did multi, multi-node multi Redis that it was for write nodes and you couldn't read from them? That's a little weird. <laughs> oh, no. No, there's still only one write node, but there were a bunch of read nodes. It, but there was no management around that, so you, the client had to pick which endpoint it was going to use. And if it went down, it had to, the client had to... Oh, so they didn't. They didn't have a floating. Um... Yeah, this is this is like the this is like the low balance floating reader endpoint. Oh, right. Which MySQL have been doing for ten years or something like that. So it's nothing, nothing revolutionary here. But AWS CloudFormation has many many updates, including EC2, ECS, EFS, S3, and more. And these are actually uh, updates inside the parameters. So there's a bunch of things that were missing from EC2 and ECS and a bunch of things. So they've added a bunch of new parameters that you can now pass into the CloudFormation. So these are relatively new. Uh, we would bore you to death if we went through all of those. Uh, so definitely if you're using EC2, ECS, EFS, uh, check out the updates uh, in the show notes for those because they're good updates. They're just not interesting to any of our audience. <laughs> to basically, if you, basically, if you <laughs> couldn't do something before in CloudFormation, maybe you can now. Indeed. Uh, Amazon MSK is now integrated with AWS CloudFormation and Terraform. So I love that this announcement, they acknowledge that Terraform exists. <laughs> that, <laughs> yeah. That, that was, so I, I, we, we actually had an executive decision that we were no longer going to announce services being supported in CloudFormation because it was getting kind of repetitive, just like we don't really do the GA party anymore either for similar reasons, although we, we do have one next. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's just, uh, it was fantastic to see them announce Terraform support is, is available. And I wonder how much they actually contributed to the Terraform code for MSK, uh, which is why they thought they should do this versus other, otherwise. Yeah, it's nuts to me for them to see Terraform in any way as a competitor. It's only an enabler. If you talk to any solutions architects from Amazon, they, they have no issue with Terraform. Uh, now, it'd be nice if they would make Terraform more of a first-class provider in their ecosystem. Exactly. <laughs> but uh, I will at least take them acknowledging and maybe contributing to some of the providers. So, Well, they've been shamed by having Terraform support their new services before CloudFormation supports the new services. So they, they have to acknowledge it at least. Yep. Yes, for sure. AWS App Mesh Service Discovery with AWS Cloud Map is now GA. The most confusing service set of names and products ever announced. Yeah. <laughs> still, still a little confused about how this relates to all the other things they've done in this space. But uh, I'm hoping for a really good uh, talk at reInvent this year to really explain to me what this means because uh, I'm a little bit perplexed. You can now add endpoint policies to interface endpoints for AWS services. So this is one of those that seems really benign, and you're all like, wow, this is really boring. But what this means is that there was a default policy that they used to attach to all of your interfaces <laughs> that you were attaching as endpoints that was just there, and it wasn't exposed to you. But now it is. And so this means that now your security people have a new way to make it more difficult for you to do this. <laughs> Yay, more work. <laughs> exactly. One more, one more this thing is, to troubleshoot. This is the equivalent of the pass role in IAM policies, <laughs> yep. in my opinion. Nice. So watch out for this one. S- S3 already supported policies because you could you could uh, lock down which buckets in which... Re- oh, actually, it was only in the same region. You could lock down which buckets you could address through the S3 endpoint and deny all others. So, I mean, I guess for, from a security perspective, you could stop people from pumping tons and tons of data into a bucket that they owned, you know, mm-hmm. for exfiltrating data. That's that's pretty useful. But I don't know. I mean, it's, it's like you say, it's it's just it's more work. 
you know. Now you, you deploy a DynamoDB table, now you've got to update the policy with all the with the R and support of DynamoDB on the endpoint, otherwise it won't work. It's just well, maybe, yeah. maybe that's what that service discovery and cloud map is for. <laughs> to help you uh, help well, you figure we, this out. Or we're going to need something. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, 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 that's a, you know, when someone mentioned the improvements to security groups in the draft, like that's this is a perfect example of why you need it because the complexity of referencing ARNs all the time is awful. <laughs> and so, if you're going to have this type of stuff coming out more and more, where you're going to get more granular control of these things that were very broad beforehand, and your answer to me is I need to reference them with ARNs, I'm going to find someone and have a harsh talking to them. <laughs> I mean, at, at least if they could make it easy, so you could just say, please, just let me only talk to things which I've deployed in my own account, then that'd be a great starting place. Yeah, just heavy use of asterisks in your policies. <laughs> And last but not least, Amazon LightSail partners with GoDaddy to simplify WordPress management. What? How? So <laughs> when I saw this and I, I kind of was like, so they're going to let GoDaddy access my WordPress site inside Amazon. Well, then you, you dig a little deeper and you realize, oh, so GoDaddy makes a plugin for WordPress to help manage multi-site WordPress installations. And this is an integration with that. <laughs> but to do multi-site WordPress, which I'm an expert at because of our website, uh, you don't have to use GoDaddy's version of the plugin. There are a ton of other people who make the same basic plugin that are not GoDaddy and don't have uh, scantily clad drivers in their commercials on Super Bowl <laughs> that I had to be offended by to uh, partner with. So I don't know why they decided to get in a bed with GoDaddy on this, but uh, just really fascinating. And I, I, I've never really used LightSail for anything, but... Um, you know, if you're struggling with getting your WordPress site up and this is a problem for you, you should look at, you know, like one of the better WordPress hosting companies. <laughs> exactly. If you need, if you need LightSail, if you need GoDaddy for your WordPress management, then you should be on a managed service offering. Period. Exactly. Well, that's a, uh, that's it for Lightning Man, right? Or, oh, we had to score it. You had to score it. Well, Sorry. this one, you know, uh, it was very low energy over there, Jonathan. I was, I was going to be biased towards you. I was like, kind of like the NBA if, uh, uh, leadership who wants the, to go to at least game five or game six. Uh, but uh, I got to give it to Justin with uh, Terraform exists. <laughs> Fantastic. Hopefully you'll do better in your, in your draft picks, Jonathan. Than yes. Your, maybe, maybe I will. Yeah. Maybe I will. Yeah. yeah. So. Well, uh, so next week, uh, Arian Force, I will be there. I know Peter will be there. Uh, Jonathan's going to hold down the fort back here in the Bay. Uh, but we will be, back next week to record the post show see how we did the draft and that'll be out so this means that jonathan's now on the race to try to get this out before reinforce <laughs> so good luck to you jonathan mm -hmm. uh you have till tuesday morning good luck uh and we'll see how it goes but uh, yeah good luck to everybody on the uh, thing i'll see you next week in boston peter yeah and, uh, i will i will tweet where we're at and around the the campus and if you're there and you're a listener and you want to stop by and say hi and how much you love or hate the show we'd love to talk to you uh we have stickers available uh i have some t-shirts i'll be wearing i have t-shirts for for Peter, but he'll probably be representing Foghorn, Ooh. which is fine. I'll bring but, some uh, swag too. Yeah, we'll have some stuff. Uh, so find us, ping us on Twitter. Uh, we will we will link up and say hello. Uh, and I know the uh, OG AWS uh, Slack team has been talking about having a meetup as well. So if you are part of their Slack channel, uh, which is a great community around their GitHub repo, as well as just a lot of really knowledgeable Amazon people. It's where I met Corey Quinn many moons ago. Uh, they're having a meetup there as well. So, you know, definitely there's lots of things going on. Uh, if you're like me, uh, Tuesday night's probably booked with like a hundred vendor events because Tuesday is the only event night that really exists at this event. So, uh, probably not Tuesday night, but sometime during the event, we will have a meetup uh, for OG AWS as well as we'll be hanging around the show floor and in its different sessions. So definitely ping us on Twitter and we'll see you next week. Good luck. Have fun guys. All right. See ya. And that is The Week in Cloud. We would like to thank our sponsor, Foghorn Consulting and Turbonomic. Subscribe on iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts, and tweet us your feedback at hashtag thecloudpod. Or join our Slack channel. Go to our website, thecloudpod.net, for sign-up instructions.